0: Welcome to IFL Science The Big Questions, the podcast where we invite the experts to explore the biggest mysteries of science with your host, Dr. Alfredo Carpinetti. As a heads up, we apologise for some audio hiccups with this episode. In an era of video conferencing, sometimes sound quality suffers. So thanks for bearing with us. Welcome to IFL Science, The Big Questions, a series where we ask experts some of the most pressing mysteries of science, technology, and humanity. I'm your host, Dr. Alfredo Carpinetti, IFL Science Senior Science Writer. Today I'm sitting down with Dr. Mandeep Gill from CAIPEC at Stanford University and a member of the Dark Energy Survey Collaboration. The question today is, what is the universe made of? Dr. Gill, it's a great pleasure speaking with you today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work?
1: Sure, and great speaking with you, uh, Dr. Carpinetti and all the IFL uh, fan, IFL science fans out there. I've uh, followed the, the website uh, on and off at times. Um, I've always enjoyed the name. Uh, Thank you. So I am a, a scientist at KIPAC, uh the Kavli Institute for Particle Astrophysics and Cosmology at Stanford. Uh, I, I have my doctorate in particle physics from, Uh, slack doing it on an experiment there um and so then i moved into astrophysics later later in life and they're they're actually really closely connected uh and i work for as alfredo said uh, dark energy science uh, collaboration um so which means the coolest part is you get to go down to chile and observe sometimes from the actual telescope which is pretty neat uh so I'm not going to be speaking as a spokesperson for either, um, for either institution. I'm speaking just for myself. But this does reflect what um, generally cosmologists believe about the universe overall.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much for uh, being part of uh, our series. So let's start with uh, the main question. As far as we can tell, what is the universe made of?
1: Well, um, you know, we used to think the universe is made of the stuff we see around us, tables and chairs, which ultimately means um, particles, protons. Mostly the stable pro- particles are protons, electrons, and neutrons and photons, right? The photons of light. That's what we started with. Uh, and then we got to neutrinos and then we added in all kinds of particles that, are, uh, that you don't easily see. Most of those particles decay, muons, etc., that you might have ever heard of. Uh, the only ones that don't are the ones I mentioned: protons, electrons, neutrons, and neutrinos, and photons, right? Uh, and maybe gravitons. We we get into lots of things, but those are the that's the classical uh, picture of uh, the standard model of particle physics that uh, physicists know and have known and loved since. Uh, really, it came together in its uh, you know, current form in the late 60s, and it was sort of set there. Uh, but then, though there was this evidence from very early on for, for this thing called dark matter, uh, way back in the, in the 1930s uh, by Fritz Zwicky and, and others, um, it wasn't until the early 1970s, as, as scientists, particularly Vera Rubin, uh, were looking very carefully at how galaxies rotate uh, that they saw they were rotating too fast. And so it became very clear that there had to be more matter than we were seeing in the stuff we do see normally through light, the protons, electrons, uh, protons and electrons that I mentioned. Um, and, and so we call that dark matter. Now, so, so that's, that forms a very, uh, that's a sizable chunk of the universe. There's about six times as much of that in matter as there is of normal matter that whenever I say normal matter, I do mean the protons, electrons, photons, which are not matter, but they communicate between matter, uh, the normal stuff we've always known, uh, you know, for many, many decades. Um, and so it wasn't, uh, until Vera Rubin in the early seventies and then, and then later that we've really sort of said there has to be more matter now. The final major component is something people may have heard of called dark energy. What is that? Well, okay, let me describe the evidence for it first. Which is, by the late 80s and early 90s, it was clear there wasn't even enough dark matter. There wasn't enough dark matter, uh, uh, even though there's six times as much as normal matter, to explain other aspects of the universe. For example uh there were there's the there's the large-scale structure of the universe how the galaxies are placed uh and and there wasn't enough to to disc, um to explain that uh so in the by the late 90s that evidence was getting more and more compelling and then uh so in the late 90s uh, in nine, 1998 what happened was two groups saw that the universe was expanding faster than it is now. They did this through tracing supernovae that we can talk about, but they found the universe was expanding too fast, faster. It's, it was, for a while, it was slowing down in the expansion, as you would expect if there was, quote, an explosion and things were slow, but the, everything was attracting each other, things would be slowing down. But, then in the, uh, but now what we know is that that slowing down started, started speeding up. Uh, a few billion years ago. And uh, and so so what we say is we we normally uh, have this pie chart. And in that pie chart, uh, we actually, the normal matter we talked about at the start is about 5% of the matter energy density of the universe. Dark matter is some 25%. Uh, and then uh, 70% or so is uh, dark energy of the matter energy content if you take a big chunk of the universe. So that's the... That's the picture we have right now.
0: So pretty much we only know and uh, interact with 5% of the whole universe. Uh, And uh, we can uh, argue how much we understand that 5%, uh, but let's focus on uh, the the dark components of the universe. So Mm -hmm. uh, how much, do we know about dark matter currently?
1: Well, uh, uh, some amount. <laughs> when, when you said uh, interact, um, so there's four forces, four fundamental forces of physics and uh, the ones we're most familiar with in our, in our daily life are electromagnetism. You see it in magnets and electricity. It's also what holds matter together, uh, holds atoms together in, in chairs and tables. Uh, together. And then gravity, of course, we're stuck to the earth. And, um, and so dark matter does interact gravitationally. That is the thing that we're most clear on, that it interacts gravitationally and, uh, and because that's really where it was seen. It was seen in the rotation curves of galaxies that they're rotating too fast because the more mass you have, uh, the faster you have to rotate uh, before falling in. So as you go far out in galaxies, uh, far even beyond the the where most of the stars are. So you only see tracer uh, clouds of gas and a few stars way out to certain like about 10 times as much as the normal uh, lit up part of a galaxy. Uh, you keep seeing that things are rotating just too fast. It's like you're adding more and more mass out there. Uh, so the dark matter is all the way from the center of a galaxy all the way out to about 10 times as far as the as the bright part of the disk, okay? It's a little more concentrated towards the center, but it's a more, much more diffuse cloud, so it goes out. So we see it there. We see it in where the uh, the galaxies are located in in clusters uh, and all across the universe. So we call that large-scale structure. We see it in lensing, which is when light goes through a uh, galaxy cluster um, and, and around it, it gets, lent, it gets bent by all the uh, mass in that, uh, galaxy cluster. And so that uh, is a very clear uh, indication that there's more mass in this whole galaxy cluster. So not just in the galaxy, but in a galaxy cluster, which is a few galaxies swarming around like bees, uh, there's there's uh, dark matter all the way from the center all the way out. Um, we see it actually in indications way back from the cosmic microwave background uh, radiation, CMB, from just about less than 1% of the time to till now after the big bang till now uh, is when the CMB uh, we call it decoupled and we see the CMB from that time we see it in the patterns of the CMB so just from how the light was distributed way back then the matter was distributed which is which then ultimately imprints on the light that was that was coming to us we see it on imprints of the CMB and, and a few other places but but I wanted to make clear that we don't see it in just one location, galaxy uh, rotation curves. Like none of the cosmology we have of the universe now works without, um, without adding in another component, uh, uh, dark matter, um, another massive component that clusters. Um, yeah, so there you go. Okay,
0: thank you very much for that in-depth explanation. Now we go to the other side. What do we know about dark energy?
1: Uh, we know a little bit less about dark energy dark energy does not cluster in the simplest uh, scenario it uh, dark energy does not seem to cluster at all anywhere in <clears throat> in our universe it seems to be evenly spread we've done various searches to see if there's directionality to it like the the speed of expansion uh, we don't see that so, the simplest picture for dark energy—you uh, didn't ask me what dark matter is yet—but uh, but the simplest picture for dark energy itself is that we take um, the equations for gravity, which we call the Einstein equations, <clears throat> and we add to them a constant uh, energy density, constant in time and space, uh, and that's unlike everything else. Although dark matter is mysterious, it behaves like normal matter in in a couple of ways it clusters <clears throat> excuse me and it also dilutes as you make a box larger uh if you have a certain amount of dark matter that was just sitting there in the center uh and you don't add more when you make the box larger uh that dark matter dilutes uh that doesn't happen with dark energy dark energy has what uh, the simplest picture is that it has a it has a constant energy density so when you make a, a box larger you get more energy it's just this we don't, we, our conception of it, it's not a fluid, it's, it's, it's almost a property of space. So, you know, so it may be that we need to change the equations of gravity ultimately, which is not easy to do in a simple way uh, in order to incorporate it. But as of now, all we see is this rapid, more rapid expansion of the universe uh, and, and the simplest way to accommodate that is by adding this constant in to the gravity equations. I can say also that Einstein himself was very well aware of this, uh, and, and you see this if you look at the history. <clears throat> what he uh, had, the philosophical predilection at that time was that there would be a constant, that the universe was everywhere just the same forever. Because it seems, you know, if, if you, it seems to make the most sense, you know, it seems the simplest. Uh, he didn't even know, initially, Einstein did not know that there were separate galaxies. So he said, he just thought there's all these stars. And so the simplest way to make it stable was, uh, as you can tell, dark energy has this sort of anti-gravity effect. It makes things expand faster. It's the only thing that does that. Normal matter, dark matter, none of those, uh, even light uh, gravitates, right? Uh, it has matter energy density, um, even gravitons. So they all gravitate dark energy, this weird property of space or this, you know, evenly spread energy pushes things apart. So Einstein knew about that. And he said, well, if I had a bunch of stars, then clearly they would start attracting eventually. And they would, they would have to clump. How am I going to make this stable, uh, for infinite time? Oh, well, I know I can add this anti-gravity force in this constant energy density. It will stabilize the stars. Uh, And it it will keep things apart. So he had added that in at that time. They they called it a cosmological constant. And it was only when Hubble and others found in the 1930s that, in fact, the universe was not that stable. There were galaxies and the the galaxies were going apart uh, that Einstein abandoned that. And other people saw. Well, it is actually uh, there's no need for a cosmological constant at that time. It's just everything is is expanding apart. And uh, it wasn't until the reason it took till much later to find this is is because we had to look very far away, and we didn't have telescopes to look at that time to to start seeing that uh, this expansion of space is accelerating. Okay, um, so so that's a picture. So Einstein knew that it could be there. It had been, people had had this dim awareness over time that it might, you know, it was a possibility, but it wasn't until 98 that people said, oh, it is true. The universe is expanding faster and we need to put this in, or this is the simplest thing we can put in to actually make space, space expand faster. And and it has this very specific uh, amount, uh, of constant energy density. And I told you right now it's 70% of the matter energy density of the universe. Um, but as I told you, as a, as boxes get larger matter, normal matter and dark matter keep diluting the dark matter, uh, dark energy, uh, uh d- does not dilute in any way. It just, and so it eventually takes over. We, we might get to that later here, but uh, I know some of your questions were about the future of the universe. So I'm, I'm looking ahead as we all look ahead to the future of the universe. Uh, and so uh, that's, our, that's, one, that's our picture.
0: Uh, well, thank you for that. And yeah, I think we can uh, move uh, into the next question is, so dark matter is some particle of some sort.
1: Um, okay, so let me address.
0: Okay, that. Uh, let's let's address what dark matter
1: is. All right, um, dark matter is something we don't know. I told you all the pieces of evidence, and if you, the way I say it is, if you asked any cosmologist, uh, you know, is there dark matter? They would bet their house. You know, they would bet uh, you know anything that they own. Uh, that there's dark matter out there because we, uh, you know, when you study something enough, you see the evidence every day. Now, if you, uh, if you ask them though, to bet their firstborn child uh, or their hand, you know, we can, we can talk about levels of bets. What they will say, uh, uh, let's be clear is um, that there's only two possibilities that there is a dark matter particle, as you said, or, or some kind of dark matter. I'll get to that in a second that's out there or or that you have to modify gravity. I told you that there is a modification there that it's more likely that we modify gravity or it embeds into a larger string theoretic framework or something for dark energy. Um, It's harder to do that for dark matter. We've tried in different ways to modify it, uh, but maybe not impossible. Uh, So I wanna keep that logical possibility out there because we have not found dark matter as much as we've tried. So what? What is dark matter? Well, the reason that in the early 70s, I told you there was evidence uh, that there was more matter. And people got excited because there's also a theory coming out called supersymmetry, which helped with some particle physics problems that uh, are are a whole different thing having to do with the Higgs boson and things like that, the mass of the Higgs boson. Uh, And and the supersymmetry helped with those particle physics problems. And in, in fact, is, is not just some additional uh, uh, theory, it's, it's a fundamental uh, symmetry that seemed very natural for space-time. Now we've not seen, we usually call it Susie, we've not seen Susie yet. So, um, you know, some sometimes the, the really nice models, uh, you know, on paper don't come out to be true, but, uh, but it's not ruled out yet either. Um, now, what happens in Susy is if you um, introduce this particular uh, uh, mathematical thing called R parity, you have <clears throat> you have a least <clears throat> uh, lightest supersymmetric particle that can't decay into anything else, but it doesn't interact with matter in any way either. So it it is it was a natural candidate for dark matter, and so many people said, "Oh, this is really nice. We're solving, we're killing many birds <laughs> with with one stone." Uh, if you like to kill birds or you can use other, other analogies. And so this was very nice and natural. And uh, so people said, well, this is cool. We'll, we'll have the, LS, the LSP. Uh, and so that ultimately also got, uh, got classified as in the larger framework as a weakly interactive massive particle, a WIMP, which people may have heard of. And then there were other candidates for WIMPs from other theories that were a little less well-motivated, but people thought, so I, I said that it doesn't interact at all. So people, you could dial in a little bit of interaction, so it would interact a little bit, and so that was a weakly interacting part, just like neutrinos, which we, which we, uh, you know, there's a, there's a very good analogy with neutrinos. Neutrinos were uh, theorized in the '32 uh, or so by Pauli, um, Wolfgang Pauli, who said. Momentum doesn't look like it's being conserved in neutron decays. There has to be a third particle coming out in addition to the proton and the electron. I'll theorize and call it a neutrino, little neutral one, right? He was your, uh, well, Pauli wasn't, but other, uh, there was a lot of Italians like Fermi around that were your countrymen Alfredo. So, So that was theorized by Pauli. And what he felt, what they knew from looking at the ways that it would have to interact was that it would be very, very difficult to interact, to detect. So it wasn't until the mid fifties that it was found in Savannah River, Georgia, next to a nuclear reactor. They put big detectors next to to, um, a reactor and they they detected those neutrinos. So something that was postulated to fundamentally uh, keep momentum conservation, a, a very basic principle of, uh, you know part of particle physics of all our of all our physics up till that time that has to do, and that has to do it's a fundamental symmetry of um, you know that translation is is preserved that if I go from here to here, space is the same. That's where momentum conservation comes out of. These are not random things. they're very deep in the in the theory. So it's very difficult to break some of them. So because of that, Uh, They theorized a neutrino and it wasn't found until 25 years later. Now that's the analogy with uh, dark matter that in the early seventies, it was really very clearly there, uh, you know, uh, clearly there through indirect means, this indirect evidence showing that something's got to be there. And then we thought we would find it now many more than 25 years have passed since then people have looked they've built very large detectors. Uh, actually at Slack, uh, there's one, there's, uh, we, we helped build this one that's going into a, a mine in South Dakota. Um, and they're getting, we've got made them larger and larger where <clears throat> we build these dark matter detectors to see if just like neutrinos, we have to build a lot. We have to have a lot of matter so that if it just, even if you have trillions of things, particles coming through every second, which is the case for us with neutrinos. They they come from the sun. There's trillions going through us every second. We only have a few interact in our body our entire lives. Uh, That's how rarely they interact. But if you made, uh, you know, a million times as big as me, you would have uh, some, a few interacting every day. That's the idea with with dark matter is we said, uh, well, even if it interacts very little, we will Build this very big detector, and we keep building them, and maybe it will interact. But there's one difference is that um, dark matter, as I told you, we only have the evidence of it for sure from gravitation. So even though there's theories for what it could be, uh, those are not you know, locked down theories. And so we um, we have to uh, know that the interaction could go to zero with normal matter. The interaction could go to zero. Let me say that again. That is, it may never interact with us except for gravitationally. Uh, And there are those models as well. Um, And so we have seen from, though these were well-motivated theories, uh, we have not seen a dark matter particle yet. And now it's 50 years since 1970, right? Uh, 51, Um, and So what is dark matter? Let's go back. Dark matter can be anything that gravitates and clumps. So we can go all the way from there. Now it's been another particle physics motivated candidate for a while. There has been called an axion. All right. So it it can be anywhere from an axion, which is 10 to the minus 20 EV or uh, 10 to the minus 26 times the mass of an electron, uh, EV per C squared. Okay. So it's now, extremely here, light. Extremely light, right? Uh, point, you know, with 26 zeros, one times the mass of an electron, all the way through. WIMPs are, uh, they're about uh, a billion uh, times the, the mass of um, uh, a um, million, a million something times the mass of an electron all the way up, and that, those were, as I told you, the most motivated candidates for a while. Now people are looking for axions in different ways. They have been looking, again, we haven't seen those, all the way through some other candidates, to something called, and this is probably the most recent uh, uh, fashionable thing, is something called primordial black holes, which weigh several times what the sun weighs, okay? And, or, or in that range, they could be somewhat lighter up till that. Uh, and then there's a cutoff where you, you you destabilize galaxies if they get too heavy. Any of these things have to do cluster. Okay, the axions cluster in clouds even though they're so light they they cluster. Um, and then the primordial black holes, their actual mass, and they they cluster. Uh, all of these um, have you know arguments for and against their their uh, existence, but there's about I told you about 80 orders of magnitude in mass between, between them. So it's one of the most uh, undetermined uh, uh, theories out there of, as far as like what it is. Um, you know, if you ask me personally, I don't know. I actually like primordial black holes. There are some... Um, you know, some astronomers will say, well, you know, we we should have seen more lensing and there's some evidence against them, but it's not totally clinched. I would say the story is not closed there either. That's why people still talk about them. You see paper papers come out uh, and they got much more popular after the LIGO detections uh, about, um, uh, you know, five, six years ago, because what we saw was that uh, LIGO was detecting uh, less massive uh, there were a lot of black holes. There were less massive ones up till massive ones. And so people were like, oh, well, this is kind of cool. Maybe some of these are primordial, which means they're there from very early before the big, sort of around the Big Bang time. Uh, I could talk about that if you, if you want to know, but they're different than most of the black holes we have are called stellar mass black holes. Uh, they're formed when huge stars like Betelgeuse will collapse, their, their core collapses, becomes a black hole. Um, and then eventually some of those clump together and you get supermassive black holes at the centers of galaxies, as maybe you studied also in your uh, back in your astrophysics time. Um, and so those are stellar mass. We've had a pretty decent picture of those for a while. Stellar mass is supermassive. Um, but the primordial ones may be in a different somewhat mass range and and they have a different origin, but as long as they cluster, they'd be fine for dark matter. We'd need, you know, a good amount of them. Uh, But they're, you know, they're my favorite. Do I believe in them? I wouldn't bet, you know, I wouldn't bet a house. I wouldn't bet my car on, uh, on any of these. I would bet anything I have that, as I told you, there's either some dark matter candidate out there, uh, or you modify gravity, and I bet on a dark matter candidate. I just don't know that we're going to ever uh, detect one in, in any way other than gravitationally, which is is as it is, you know. So uh, that's where we are with those.
0: Awesome. Well, I think my next question is: uh, you explained so much about. Uh, uh, the effect uh, of uh, dark energy and dark matter uh, on the current state uh, of the universe, how uh, dark energy is pushing the universe uh, apart at an accelerated uh, rate, how dark matter is keeping galaxies and cluster of galaxies together. If our understanding of them is correct, uh, what uh, uh, can we expect uh, in the future, even the far future. What is the destiny of the universe uh, if our theory is correct?
1: Right, that's always a very natural and reasonable question. And uh, the simple answer is one that uh, some uh, cosmologists are not terribly happy about. I had a office mate, uh, this was not too many years after uh, dark energy was discovered. He was British and he said, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of depressed about this whole thing <laughs> and he, because what, what it looks like in the simplest picture is that dark energy takes over. I told you that it, it dominates over the other things, even though it's, you know, in the early universe, it was a very small percentage because everything was so dense. And so every dark, dark matter and normal matter dominated everything. But now as we, that stuff gets less and less dense as the stars burn out, uh, you know, over billions and then trillions of years, um, everything gets diffuse and then, uh, eventually, you know, everything gets cold and dark and, uh, and, and, and just, that's how it is. <laughs> we have a very cold, dark, uh, sort of fizzling out of the, in the very far universe, uh, we expect that, uh, black holes also, uh, radiate, uh, through, um, Hawking radiation. They, they radiate out their energy, And so, you know, all the black holes that are there would also just radiate away their their mass into neutrinos. And so you just get a very like uh, fuzz of neutrinos probably everywhere in the universe. And it it would not be very uh, uh, interesting or uh, warm uh, to live in. Um, But I don't worry that much (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because, number one, it's far away off. So if there's any kids listening, don't worry, kids. (laughs) Go ahead and uh, buy your beachfront property uh, uh, or wherever you need to be. Uh, climate change is, will be a worry for that. It's a much more urgent concern uh, for humanity. <clears throat> that is happening. Um, but um, <clears throat> the other thing is, not only is it far away. I don't. We've had many different pictures of how the universe is. You know, Einstein had the steady state. Of course, early on, people thought there was just one Earth, and 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 then we you know came to an expanding universe and then uh you know maybe people thought there was a cyclic universe it was bouncing back and forth and now we've discovered dark energy and we say that <clears throat> the universe is expanding faster and these are all true these are all true <clears throat> these are all um phases of you know how we've pictured <clears throat> our our universe but you now they're incomplete and they're they've at each stage been incomplete and it may be that they will always be incomplete and and the next thing that we discover might be different than that we will discover that dark energy maybe is a little less powerful it's maybe not exactly cosmological constant because that's still possibly the case and it in the far distant uh, time our universe will recollapse or that uh, we, we live in a multiverse, whether it's other universes and our universe will uh, possibly collide with one. I mean, there are various scenarios. I'm not going to put a lot of stock into any of them because all I'm saying is our picture is always incomplete. So, you know, the thing that matters to us is our life and, and then the earth and then our, our descendants and, you know, this far future of the universe really should not concern anybody too much at the moment, I, I feel. And, you know, it's a very different kind of thing than worrying about our life or, or the, you know, the Earth or anything like that, you know. Um so I, that's what you'll hear from, from cosmologists. Um, right?
0: Let's talk about uh, uh, the Dark Energy Survey. Uh, recently, uh, there's been uh, the publication of its... Uh, Uh, three years uh, worth of data and is the most precise uh, understanding of uh, cosmology that we have uh, achieved so far. Uh, Why is that important?
1: Well, there's a few reasons it's important that we continue exploring this. Uh, one is that uh, we, we, you know, dark energy, for example, is fairly new. You know, it's the last 22 years, 23 years humanity has found it and we are still, it's very new to us and we uh, don't get it. And so, you know, why is there this weird component and is it really a cosmological constant? That's what we're trying to aim at and dark energy survey through several different means uh, looks at, looks at this question, particularly through weak lensing. The, the results you saw yesterday were, uh, primarily weak lensing based, uh, there was a little bit of discussion of others and that lensing weak gravitational lensing that lensing is because light is being bent by galaxies and dark matter, uh, galaxy clusters from where it, where it first originates to us. Okay. So it's become a powerful technique, especially, in the last 20ish years. And that, um, those are the most precise results because dark energy survey has taken the deepest, widest picture yet of the universe. So we have, you know, 500 uh, million galaxies or so, uh, a very large number of galaxies, half a billion galaxies that we've, you know, imaged, uh, the most of any data set, uh, ever, uh, and it will only be um exceeded by rubin observatory which is taking over which will start in a couple of years it's being built it's only about 20 miles away uh so you can see it if you're at dark energy uh, ds uh, camera and telescope which is called the blanco telescope uh, down there in Chile. If you're at the Blanco, you can see LSST and you can get through it through a very circuitous route along all those roads. It takes much longer to get through it because you're in the very dry, up to, uh, you're in the uh, mountains and and these roads just take a very long time to get, get up there. But it's a beautiful site, very, you know, desolate, but beautiful in its desolation. Um, so Rubin <clears throat> Observatory will start taking data and that Will be then for the next decade, that is going to be the preeminent ground based experiment that's going to, uh, you know, really tie down as even better is it a cosmological constant? We're at the few percent, 10 or a few percent level of, uh, of uncertainty on, on uh, whether the cos- dark energy is really a cosmological constant, whether it changes in time or space right now. Um, Rubin will pin that down to less than a percent. Uh, And then at that point, if it's really still in that range uh, and we don't see any variation, then we have to think of other ways we can try to look for deviations from it or what's next. You know, the multiverse that I mentioned is a very popular uh, possibility Um, And it says, well, there's many universes out there and ours was the one born with this number exactly right, you know, exactly what it is that's allowed us to evolve. There's other universes with very different physical laws that, uh, you know, humans couldn't evolve in in those. And um, many scientists find that unsatisfying because it feels like a cop out. It feels like, well, you haven't explained anything. You just said there's a bunch of random. It's just random chance and so that doesn't tell me anything about you know our particular universe and I, you know i don't know what to say to any of the, any of these things you know it's the the multiverse is far beyond anything that's detectable right now <clears throat> and i'm uh, an observable cosmological uh, observational cosmologist <clears throat> I'm much more concerned about what is the, what are the things that we can get to within our lives you know and, and detect because like i said science may have an infinite extent it, it doesn't disprove i always like to be very clear and i hope your ifl science uh fans understand this you know people say einstein overthrown this overthrown quantum mechanics overthrown or, you know yeah we have a different paradigm and a different picture but whenever we go to the next stage we expand. We expand our picture of science and understand more, but we still reduce back. In our normal world, Newtonian mechanics works just fine. You have to go to extreme uh, masses uh, to get uh, Einsteinian uh, relativity to matter, okay, like black holes sort of stuff. So uh, you know, yes, it does get used. Actually, our GPS satellites have to account for Einsteinian uh, relativity time delays. Otherwise, we'd be off in GPS by a couple of miles. So in very sensitive cases, you have to use it. But most of our lives, we can use Newtonian mechanics perfectly well. That's one example. So everything's got to reduce. We keep building on science, right? We uh, So science is always there. Science is, you know, it's this interesting phenomenon in human if you want to call it phenomenon, it's our way of describing the universe that uh, that just works. And I always say it's special because the aliens would have to find the same science. They would have to find the same protons and neutrons and, and relativity and all that stuff. They might have much more, I, no doubt. You know, I want to always be humble about where we are, because 100 years ago, some people thought, there was so much science that they discovered it all and then quantum mechanics and relativity and all those things came out right after that um but uh so we're always expanding but i do believe that it's human independent uh that's you know i'll call it a belief i just say this because it's we have this you know what do they call that the post uh, pomo postmodern science you know science is different and it does not make it the most important thing alfredo probably love is the most important thing in human <laughs> affairs, uh but uh as i think even they say in the, the movie interstellar or, but um but it's it's special in human affairs and you know it should inspire us as you know carl sagan always said uh towards you know greater heights it's it's special in that it's It's independent of humans. It's just there in the universe. We don't know why the universe is here. We don't know, you know, how it got here. All I'm telling you is, you know, the Big Bang happened and we, and it's gotten to here and we're discovering these laws. Maybe we'll go deep past the Big Bang at some point. Maybe we'll discover things. I don't know if we can ever answer that question. Why are we here? That's I know I'm getting a little philosophical. <laughs> I minored in philosophy in school, so <laughs> it, it always, uh, you know, my we mind are did...
0: happy to hear our philosophy.
1: So good to hear. So my mind uh, goes in those directions, but because you know it's a natural question. We all want to know why are we here? Why is why are things here? Where are we going? Right? These are the questions cosmologists ask, but we ask them where we can make. And advances in our science. We, we can't, you know, I, I can't know what, uh, you know, are there aliens? Well, I don't know. I don't, haven't seen them visit us. It's possible, you know, that we evolved somehow on the earth, so it's possible, but I don't know for sure. You know, questions like that, when we have to be humble and admit our ignorance when it's there too. that And that's something that often humans have a hard time doing is, admitting that but it's like yeah we just don't know you know we're here we we know some things we learn some things life life is beautiful as that italian movie uh talks about and and uh we should do good things uh while we're here and love one another and all those things and uh and that's that's what there is I'm that's definitely a little bit beyond science but you know it just always comes up and when we have these conversations when i have these conversations
0: well i think uh that is actually a fantastic note uh, to conclude so Mm -hmm. thank you very much for your time Uh, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to discuss with you how much we know or how little we know and how much we don't know about the universe thank you so much
1: thank you alfredo and thank you to all the ifl science fans out there take care bye bye
0: Thanks for listening to IFL Science The Big Questions. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And in the meantime, visit iflscience.com for all the biggest news stories from the world of science. Until
1: next time.